guys. Um, my name is Nathan Chang. I am uh, the church planner resident at New City, and so I hang out mostly in the uh, shiny campus. So I was what Ray was last year before he became the campus pastor. Um, my family and I had moved from Portland, Oregon um, a couple of months ago, and uh, I was a pastor there for six years. We felt a call to do a church plant in Kansas City. And so I actually grew up in Olathe. I went to Olathe East, class of 98. We were state champs in a bunch of everything. And so we had so much pride and went to KU. That's where I met my wife. And um, Kansas City has always been home to me. And, and we've lived in all sorts of places, Dallas, Orlando, Chicago, and then Portland. But we, we, Kansas City was always a standard. It's like they're not as good as Kansas City because of this. It was always that. So we just we just want to we just want to grow old here, and that's what we want to do, and that's we just feel called to do that. So we're excited to be back, and I just it's, it brings me so much joy to my heart when I see like Chiefs outfit and Royals and and Jayhawk stuff. And I went to KU, but K State it's like a little brother to me, so that's fine. But um, uh, today, if you have your Bibles with you, um, I just invite you to open to First Samuel chapter seventeen. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it's a story of, that you know well, if you, especially if you grew up in the church, of David and Goliath. Even if you haven't grown up in the church, you probably know this story well. Uh, what we're doing in the Shawnee campus is, uh, is, 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 is this emphasis on uh, what Pastor Matt wants to do with connect, serve, and grow. And so we're just going off this series called Ha Ha, Real Funny, Ain't No Way, God. Um, there's all these stories in the Bible, and, and the most well-known one is when Abraham was called by God that he would, I mean, promised by God that he would have a, a son this time next year when he was already on his way to the grave. And, 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 and Sarah laughed, and even Abraham laughed in chapter 17 of Genesis, saying, yeah, right, God, funny, no way. But don't we all have in our own lives where God says something to us? And we say, right, God, no way. So, so, so we've been just going through a series in that. So we're going to take a break from Ephesians, what Pastor Ray is doing. Pray for Pastor Ray. He is uh, in Arkansas right now, and he's fundraising. And so, so uh, speaking of that, let's just pray for him right now, and then pray for us to just our hearts to get ready for the word. Father, thank you, Lord, just for um, just reminding us of who you are in Scripture that you're not one to trifle with. We may laugh when it comes to promises you make because they're so extraordinary, so supernatural. But in the end, I just pray, Lord, you would give this supernatural obedience to you. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Ray for his obedience and just stepping out in faith to go to a, a, a different city in Kansas City, somewhere he's not from. And, 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 and we just pray, Lord, that you would powerfully speak through him as he speaks at different churches um, uh, back in his hometown, and that you would also just raise the necessary funds that he needs to raise um, and to completion and speedily. We know that you are the provider. You're a generous giver, God. We just trust in you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, in this uh, ha-ha, real funny thing, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath, like we said. And, and there are four acts, you know, like Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, and 4. And in this story, and we're going to look at this. So if you have your Bibles, this is 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is Act 1. We're going to look at the antagonist, the introduction to the giant. Let's read scripture together. Now the Philistines were gathered 
now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. I'm going to be, read, read from the ESV, by the way. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. Do you know what this means? This means that the, the Philistines are invading. There's, this is a problem the Israelites cannot avoid. Verse 2, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. All right, we've got a problem. It's a serious problem. You got the invading Philistines. And here's what you, you need to know about the Philistines. They were physically and technologically more superior than Israel. By far. It's not even a close margin. Okay? Now, put yourself in the Philistines' shoes. Picture this. You can even Google it. Don't do it right now, but later. You can Google the Valley of Elah, E-L-A-H, and you can see the picture of the of the of the of the landscape, you have an army on one side of the hill and an army on another side of another hill. That means they're exposed to one another. They can see. And what Israel can see is the superiority of the Philistines. The Philistines had the technology to make bronze helmets and armors and swords and weapons. And and the Philistines can see that the Israelites were vastly inferior. They didn't have the technology to do anything. If you go back in chapter 13, it says that there was not one blacksmith that could be found anywhere in Israel. That means there's no weapons. If they had weapons, that means because they stole it from it. It was a plunder, but they didn't make it on their own. What they did on the most part was they had makeshift weapons from farming equipments. So they used pitchforks and mattocks and axes and all sorts of stuff. Now, put yourself in a Philistine general's shoe. You're seeing this. You're probably thinking then, wait a minute. Why would we waste thousands of our own men's lives? And look, this is potential human resources for manual labor. Why would we waste human resources? Let's not do this. And so... Let's send a champion, a representative. That way we can save these resources. This is a waste. Why are we, this is, why, why are we going to do this? Verse 4. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Translation, he was nine foot nine. Okay. Um, if you have, uh, some of you may have a note in your Bible on the bottom that says that there are older texts, like the Septuagint or, uh, or the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually list Goliath at four cubits in his span, and that makes him 6'9". Can we just agree that the details doesn't matter here, okay? It's like, seriously, um, the, the, pr- the point is, don't miss the point, Goliath represented a physical superiority to the max. They, they magnified all the more with Goliath. It wasn't just Goliath, all the Philistines. I guess the Israelites were just insecure, smaller people because throughout 1 Samuel, you see them making a big deal about height all the time. Okay? So the Philistines were bigger. Goliath was the biggest. Okay? That's the point. Okay? It's supposed to inspire fear. Now, in verse 5, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. 
and he was armed with the coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. And the shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. All right. Now, every one of us have our own giants, don't, do we not? Giants which, from a human perspective, just seems impossible to overcome. It, it seems insurmountable. And so the details of Goliath here is supposed to beg the question, who can who can beat Goliath? That's ridiculous. It's a, it's a ha-ha, real funny God moment. Who can beat addiction? Are you kidding me? You've struggled with this substance or, or porn for so long, and it's beaten you so many times. Who can beat it? Is it not a Goliath-type thing? Or who can beat depression You've been beaten down so much you can't even get out of bed. Maybe you're so overwhelmed at work that you don't even know how you're going to survive. You have your own giants. And it it looks different for everyone. Or, Or giants don't have to be an internal struggle. Sometimes as a leader, you have this vision because you see something that ought not be. That's how visions are born. It comes out of a concern. You're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And then you start thinking about it more. And then that, that concern turns into a burden that you can't shake off. And then that burden turns into a moral imperative. Something's got to be done. And so as a leader, this could be with your family. It could be with your community. It could be at work. It could be at school. It could be anything. Okay, But, but pretty much God has given us all some sort of responsibility and therefore some sort of leadership. And so you see that, but when you get from a point from a plan to execution, a lot of times it feels like a giant. How in the world are we going to get this done, right? And so in my case, obviously, it's church planning. It's scary. There are no, you know, when I was a pastor, I got a a salary, and and I, I had people already. All I had to do was build upon that, right? We're starting from scratch. It's like, what the heck am I doing? There have been nights where I'm just waking up, 2 in the morning, 4 in the morning, going, what in the heck am I doing? The stakes are high because I have five kids to feed. And so what are we doing, you know? So, so there's that giant, right? And in and, 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 and a campus like this, too, don't we have our own giant here? How are we going to grow? How are we going to, 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 to expand God's kingdom in Merriam and other parts of Kansas City close by? What are we going to do? What are the, what's the plan? Sometimes it just seems overwhelming. 
And then on this, on just even like in our own personal lives, when it comes to church, there are certain fears. That's what a giant does. It, it instills fear in you. How can I overcome? Uh, maybe you're called to do a city group or a small group or whatever we call it, you know, and, 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 and maybe you're an introvert and you don't like new things. That's a problem. If you're an extrovert, he's like, that's not a giant. I kick around those things all the time, and you go to new things all the time. But, but you know if you're an introvert. That, that's a big step. I don't want to belittle that. Do you have the strength to go on and, and, and overcome that giant? Or maybe you know you're supposed to speak into someone's life, but you avoid controver- con- uh, confrontations like a plague, right? That's tough. Or maybe, here's a giant, maybe some of us don't want to face. What if God is calling you to stop being a consumer of the church, where you take, 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 and to actually be a disciple that Jesus has all called Christians to be, and to give to the church, to utilize your giftings that no one else can? Every single one of us are unique. Do I, have, have, do I really have what it takes to disciple someone? Could I maybe even start a city group? The answer to all these questions depends on whom you follow and what motivates you. So let's go to act hero. Scripture is going to introduce the hero now, the, the protagonist, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Let's just stop right there. There's a major contrast here now, if we're going to compare the protagonist and the antagonist. Goliath's description inspired fear. Here, we're introduced to David, and there's nothing in his description that's going to inspire confidence. Right? I mean, there's more to say about his brothers. In the earlier, in the earlier chapter, in chapter 16, you get this, the story of Samuel, who's called to find a new king to anoint in, in Bethlehem. So he knows it's supposed to be the son of Jesse. So Jesse lines them all up. And, and, and Samuel, when he sees Eliab, the firstborn, what's his reaction? Wow, look at this guy. This, he has the look of a king. Again, he makes a, a big deal about a height, the stature. And what does God say? No, 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 not this guy. And not this brother and not this brother. You look at the outs- outward appearance. I look to the heart, right? So, so we know from, from that description, hey, there's more hope at first with Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah. And there's a big deal also with with where you come in this culture and time, in what order you come in the family. And the eldest has always made, it is the biggest deal. David's the youngest of eight. <laughs> where is the hero going to come? And so, is it going to be Eliab? Is, if, you never, if you've never heard the story, if you could just put yourself in that shoe again, is it supposed to be the brothers? It can't be David, Right? Let's go on in verse 14. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. 
Now, there's something about the number 40 in hardship in the Bible. Is there not? Like, like for example, in Noah's days, it rained 40 days and night to wipe out all life on earth. Or, or Moses and the Israelites, they wandered the wilderness 40 years with no chance to enter the promised land. Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days uh, uh, to bear the iniquity of Israel's sin. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness and experienced excruciating temptations. And for 40 days... Here in the story, Israel had to live through incredible fear and duress. There was just a famine of courage and a God-sized vision. So we see here in this passage that the, the three eldest sons followed Saul's example in relying on natural talents in getting things accomplished. Saul was said to be the, the head above everyone else. That's why he was made king. They make a big deal of that. But Goliath's bigger. Saul, we see stories of being mighty in victory and he had uh, in, in battles and he was victorious, but, but Goliath is mightier. God certainly uses our gifts, but it's not enough by itself, right? It's not enough. You may be smart, but Satan's smarter. He'll get someone smarter than you to do his bidding. You might be, you have incredible strength, but, but your strength is enough because Satan's stronger. He'll get someone else stronger than you to fight against you to expand the kingdom of God. So it's not enough on its own. And Saul bought into this limited perspective of, of, of talent, and, and, and thereby he, he couldn't see past the might of Goliath. And as a leader, you can't, Expect your followers to do something you're not willing to do. The three eldest followed Saul. And so, therefore, the three eldest were gripped with fear. But thanks be to the word. Thanks be to God. The word, but. The three eldest followed Saul. But. David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. David did not follow Saul. God protected David's young, impressionable heart from the the, the toxicity of Saul's fear. Do you think David wanted to go back and forth? I mean, we, we kind of, if you do a character study in David, you kind of get an impression of what kind of a person he is. Just a risky dude. He loves an adventure, right? He probably, he would be the spokesman of the Dos Equis beer commercial. He is the most interesting man in the world. He doesn't usually drink beer, but when he does, it's Dos Equis. David probably did not want to go back and forth to, to, to take care of stupid sheep. Dumb animals. What do, you, do you think so? He wants to go where the action is, and that's where Saul is. But don't miss this. Where do you think David got his courage? God's doing something special here in this quiet pasture. It was in the pasture where he spent time meditating on God's nature, his purposes, and his ways. It takes time. God was cultivating a supernatural courage in David and a God-sized vision. Where do you think he gets his inspiration to write the Psalms? 
In Psalm 4.8, it says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will make me dwell in safety. Psalm 5.8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Psalm 6.4, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 9.9, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. And then lastly, I love this one. Psalm 18, 2 to 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Do you see how God-centered he is? And on and on he goes. You can just go through all the Psalms that he wrote. Well, so, so while Israel spiritually starred themselves, David was being filled by grace with the beautiful and powerful presence of the Creator. God was developing his character. Don't miss this. You may be in a waiting period. Maybe you want to do something great for God. Maybe you you want this church, this campus, to do something great. But God has you in a waiting period. Don't miss this, where God is calling you to something else right now. He's developing you and cultivating you right now. Maybe so that you don't boast and say, look at what we have done, rather than saying, look what God has done. Amen? Well, eventually, I just want to say one more thing. Um, uh, in the Shawnee campus, we're doing this, this city group called Experiencing God. Maybe many of you have read uh, Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. And I love what he said. He said that God cares way more about a relationship with you than what you can ever do for him. So that's our focus, and that's what David had to go through. Well, the time came where David was finally coming back to the action. His moment's going to come. And in that moment, Jesse called David, his father, to bring food to his brothers. Hey, I've got this. Bring it to your brothers. Check up on them. So David goes. What does he see? When he gets to the camp, he sees that the armies of Israel is already in battle formation. And the Philistines are in battle formation in the valley. And it's army against army now. And, 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 and so he runs up to his brothers, finds them, and saying, hey, what's up? And then there was a war cry. I, I'm sure the adrenaline must have been really high at this point. And then it happened. Goliath once more steps out of rank and says his same speech. This time, there's something different now. There's a man of God, really a boy, who heard him. I love what scripture says. Just real short. It says, and David heard him. Period. We're we're building suspense here now. And at the sight of Goliath, everybody ran for their lives. So they regrouped. Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David wasn't impressed with 
Goliath's size. He just wasn't. It's so funny. You know why? Because he had gazed upon the beauty and majesty of God. So Goliath could have been 20 feet tall. David's thought process would have been the same. God's bigger. He really meant it when in Psalm 8.1, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who is Goliath? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. Do you know what that means? That means he's cut off from God's grace, God's provision, God's promise. He's, he shares a no promise, and therefore he doesn't get any provision from the Lord of the universe. How dare he defy God's chosen people? Do you know what that means? An assault on God's people is an assault on God. He's not going to have it. Something's got to be done. God's glory is at stake here. And there's no higher stake than the glory of God. So can I declare a truth to you here? Your giants, whatever they may be, is really not that gigantic. Can I say that? Now, we've got to be careful here. Because we're not saying, we're not, we're not speaking an Oprah gospel here. We're not saying, look in your inner strength. And, and, and you can defeat your giants. Because if you just look to yourself, and you look at your inner strength, it's understandable you would run away from your giants. No one's going to call you out on that. It's understandable that you're overwhelmed. That's all understandable. But David didn't focus on Goliath. He didn't look to himself like everyone else in Israel. He was mesmerized by the size, the enormity of God, and he, and he worshipped. He didn't cower in fear. So Act 3, overcoming doubters. Verse, so usually when you look at the other ha-ha, real funny, ain't no way God moments in the Bible, you, you see that there is this stage of God says something extraordinary or promises something, that person says, yeah, right, God, but then eventually they obey, right? You don't see that with David, do you? Maybe in private it, he did that, but, but there's just there's no, there's, there's no narration of it. There's just righteous indignation. Here's where the ha-ha, real funny, ain't no way God actually happens in verse 28. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. And David said, what did I do? Just a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Why do you think Eliab was angry? Probably because the status quo is fear, ain't no way, and you got this kid here, he seems naive, says, what's going on? we got to do something about it. He probably embarrassed Eliab. Here's the thing. When you actually step out in obedience either collectively or individually, and, 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 and you decide to go through this, and, and, and you overcome that stage of, yeah, right, God, no way, you can probably expect other people to say that to you. Uh, like in my case, we just had our, our 20th year reunion, and I was able to go because I was in town. 
And, and, and do you know how many weird looks I got when people ask me, so Nathan, what are you up to nowadays? I hadn't seen some of these, most of them for 20 years. I was like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in church planning. They're like, church planting? And they don't even know what it is. It's like, yeah, we're, 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 looking to, we're working with an organization to start up a new church. They're like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> Churches, they start somewhere, don't they? And so, and so I, I, there, there, there's that look. It's like, what? Really? Oh, okay. It made me not want to go anymore, really, honestly. But, um, no, but, 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 but here you can expect people to say, right, ain't no way. Now, here's the thing. What I want to know is let's say you do want to take on this, this, this really difficult thing. Sometimes you do need to listen to people say, hold up here, scale it back. What's going on here? How do you know, how do you differentiate wisdom, what other people are saying, and say, no, I can't listen to you like David did to his brother, and say, I must slay this giant? How, how do you distinguish the two? Like, for example, if, if you really feel like, I'm going to really overcome this, I'm going to marry this non-believer, and, and, and everyone keeps telling me, that's not a good idea. I'm going to do it anyway. How do, you, how, do you, like, how do you know that you should listen to someone? I think here's, here's, a, here's a good way. Um, what did Goliath and the Philistines want to do? They wanted to reverse the will of God. They wanted to reverse God's will. God's will for Israel, his people, was to liberate them from slavery. He brought them out, and only in the way he could do. And he promised them land from all the way back to Abraham. And, and he was supposed, they were supposed to live there as a nation, and they were supposed to be a light to all the other nations. That was God's will. The Philistines wanted to reverse that. The Philistines wanted to take away that land, and then they wanted to enslave them again. Do you see that? So this giant that you're facing in your life doesn't want to reverse God's will. God has a plan for you. You know God's will from the word. So what is it? And so I think that's a good way to do it, um, to figure out, hey, um, I don't think what I'm hearing, and when people say, yeah, right, ain't no way, is right, because this is not God's will, okay? So David here had to go through one more doubter. The words of David's controversy, or I mean, uh, conversations had become controversial, and so it reached King Saul's ear. Let's look at verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. It's more, haha, real funny, ain't no way, okay? But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear that took lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Okay, go, and the Lord be with you. 
So God's always preparing his people to grow. And it's not like David was slaying these dangerous predators going, I got to train for this giant. What was he doing? He's just being faithful to his job. And in our waiting period, in our place that maybe we don't, we're not fond of, maybe we just want to move on. But in this period in your life right now, God is simply calling you to be faithful. And your moment's going to come. So this isn't blind optimism we're, we're called to. You're called to a faithful walk with God. Now let's face the giant, act four. Saul then imposed on David the very things he feared. He put on David a bronze helmet, gave him an armor, gave him a sword. And I can imagine this little, this, not maybe little boy, but this, this boy, David, was, was just like, ah, I'm not, I haven't tested these things. I, I don't want these things. So he didn't allow Saul's fear to be imposed on him. He, he just threw him off. And what he did was he went to the brook. And you can just imagine he's by himself. He's in nature. And he is just probably praying. We don't know. But he just went to the brook. And he picked up five smooth stones. And he's ready to face his giant. With five smooth stones and a pouch, a shepherd's staff, and um, a sling. And that's it. But he's, he's done this before. And so he's ready to go. We're now approaching the climax. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. And this is just imagine. You've got an army on one side of the hill. This huge audience from both hills just watching you. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Apparently, if being handsome and fighting does not go well together. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your hand or your head. And I will give your dead bodies to the host of the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Amen. Now, if you've been around the church, or even if you haven't, you probably know the rest of the story. He embedded a rock into the giant's forehead, and the giant was slain. He took him out. Now, this is the gospel right here, what David said at the end. For the battle is the Lord's. You don't have to face your giants by yourself. You're not called to that. God always leads from the front. And as a true leader, God never calls you to do what he isn't willing to do. I, I just remember this, this scene from Band of Brothers. Have you guys seen that from on, on, on this HBO series? 
there's a scene where there's a soldier in a foxhole in, in, in the heat of a battle, and he is just cowering in fear. He's, he's gripped by it. He's, he's paralyzed. He cannot get up. He did not have the courage to do so. So then here comes L- uh, Lieutenant Dick Winters, a real American hero, walking by his men. He's in no foxhole. There's bullets whizzing by him. And, and then he sees the soldier. Get up, soldier. Get up. You can do it. And so he's like taking his gun. He's blowing, up, blowing out Nazis. And then he sees his leader doing the very thing he's calling him to do. So eventually he gets the courage to get up very slowly, but he still gets up. And then finally he's yelling with all his might and he's fighting back. That's what your God does. He goes in front of you. God takes the initiative to fight these battles for you. And he does this through his son, Jesus Christ. Nobody called on God to say, hey, we've got a problem here. Scripture says there is not one who seeks God. God. No, not one. Do you know why we have giants in this world that, that seeks to just grip you in fear and uh, giants to, that, that, that wants to reverse God's will? It's because we live in a fallen world. It's broken. There's sin. And we don't have the goodness nor the strength to overcome that. So what did God do? He sent his son Jesus to reverse everything. The gospel isn't be as strong as you can and have faith in yourself so you can take on, the, on giants. No, the gospel is Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again in the third day. God came down as in flesh and he dwelled among us. And he did those things for us. And do you know what that means? That means that when you make a decision to trust in Christ and you align your allegiance to him and you subsequently uh, adjust your life because you're in relationship with him, you, you, you don't have to face giants by yourself. The gospel isn't about fire insurance. The gospel isn't about just the future so that you can go to heaven. That's true, yes, but the gospel speaks to your life today. The gospel is that Christ is working through you. He's going before you, and he's looking behind you. Will you come follow me? Do you know where Christ is going? He's going directly towards your giant. And he wants to deliver you from your giant today. And that, and that he has taken away your reproach. Your, you were enemies once with God, but now you are friends with God because of Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. Has everything to do with who you are aligned with, and that's Jesus. And He's done that work for you. He goes before you, and now you can do this because of Jesus. And so I just want to just tell you, uh, declare this truth to you today. Do you know what His resurrection also just declares to all your giants? The resurrection gives you life, gives you new hope, and the resurrection demands that. You slay your giants. Let's pray. Father, um, we are uh, just thankful for your son, Jesus. I'm just thankful that we can even call you father, that we are adopted because of your son, Jesus, that we are are just brought into your family. And so, Father, I know that there are stuff in our lives that just grips us with fear, 
There's stuff in our lives that we know isn't pleasing to you. Stuff that is just has enslaved us. And I just pray, Lord, we know that um, because of Jesus, our shackles are taken off. We are no longer in a dungeon. We can live, and your truth has set us free. So because of the resurrection, it's a signal to all our enemies. Your days are numbered. Thank you, Father, for your victory. We give you all the glory. I just pray, Lord, we would respond in worship because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.